I invite you now uh, to prepare yourself and to prepare your, your souls uh, for the reading of God's word. This morning we're reading from Exodus chapter 4 verses 1 through 31. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him and take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please, let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they, will, they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, See that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. 
It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Um, Father in heaven, we praise you that we have this word. Uh, we praise you that you spoke to Moses and that in your divine sovereignty, you have Moses record this story. Father, give us hearts to believe your word. Father, give us eyes to see. Spirit of the living God, unstop our ears so that we might hear. Not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. Father, I ask this by faith in Christ Jesus, in whose name we all pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Rob. I'm one of the elders here at Renaissance Church. Um, and if you're new here, again, we'd love for you to fill out that connect card um, that is in the, the chat function. Um, and if you're not new here, uh, we'd love to know uh, how we can pray for you uh, during the season. So go ahead, fill out uh, that connect card um, when, when you see it. Now, I'm curious, how many of y'all remember or maybe not remember, they're still around today, uh, know what a Klondike bar is. Oh man, they're, they're so good, right? Remember remember that jingle? What would you do for a Klondike bar? Yep, sorry, you had to hear me saying. Remember that jingle? Remember, remember those commercials that they had? Uh, they would ask people, what would you do for a Klondike bar? And folks, they would get people to cluck like a chicken. Other commercials would get people to stand out in public and do all the motions and sing all the words to I'm a little teapot. No, I'm not going to do that for you right now. But the reward for doing that was a thick chocolate covered ice cream bar. That sounds good right now, right? Now, now an ice cream bar might not be worth much to you at all. But what about a vacation? What about a job? A new job, better paying job. What about a relationship? What about the chance to just go out in public and sit with other people right now? What would you be willing to do in order to get those things? Now Moses had a similar question posed to him. What are you willing to do, Moses? What are you willing to do for God? And Moses, as we just read, was not willing to do what God called him to do. And yet, the Lord was still willing to display to him 
his attributes. A few things we'll see in this passage. It says that the Lord is, is still willing to display, the, the first point, the power of God. The Lord's still willing, second point, to display the patience of God. And three, the Lord's still willing to display the pardon from God. My, my hope and prayer this morning is we, we think about our willingness to follow the promises and the commands of God is that we would see that even when we are unwilling to be used by God, God is still willing to use us. Even when we are willing, unwilling to be used by God, God is still willing to use us for his glory and for our good. So let's dive in here. The, the, the first point, the power of God. Now remember, back in chapter 3, Moses was just called by God to go to the people of God to tell the leaders something. He was called by this God who has come down to him, who is still appearing to him in the fire, who is still speaking to Moses. And Moses' response to this power right now, they won't trust me. They won't believe me. Moses is saying right now, it's all about my credibility. Moses is still focused on himself. But pay attention here. It's not just that the leaders wouldn't trust Moses' credibility, but it's that Moses doesn't trust the credibility of God's words. Remember back in chapter 3? The Lord told Moses in verse 18 that they will, these leaders will listen to you, Moses. You see, Moses' unwillingness to go revealed his unwillingness to trust the credibility of God's promises and God's word. Moses doubted the credibility of God. And I wondered, do you? Does this sound like you? What is your response to God's promises and commands through his word? Is it concern for other people's perception of you like Moses? Is it still focused on your credibility before others like Moses? Is it a lack of trust in God's credible word? Well, if it is, Look at how Mo God responds to Moses' unwillingness. Look at verse 2. He doesn't shame Moses. He doesn't give up on Moses. God displays his power to Moses. In verse 2, he says, take that staff, and he turns it into a snake, and then back again. And then he turns Moses' clean hand into a leprous hand, and then back again. And then God says, if they still don't trust my words, God says, my words through you, Moses, I want you to show them this. The Nile will turn to blood. Now, anyone in Israel 
would have known that the Nile was seen as a little g god. The Nile was this hermaphrodite type of god, a male god in one sense who fertilized the land through the water, and a goddess who, who nourished the land through the water. And notice what God does to the Nile. He turns it to blood, but not back again, like the staff in the hand. He's therefore declaring his power of the so-called gods in Egypt. You see, when, when we are unwilling to go, God is still willing to display his glory. When we're unwilling to trust his promises, God is still willing to display his power to us so that he can show us, so that he can show us that he doesn't need our credibility to accomplish his plan. He, all he needs is his own credibility based on his past promises and based on his spoken word. See, even when Moses wasn't willing, God was still willing to display his power. But not just his power. Second point, he's willing to display the patience of God. Now, you would think, after seeing the angel of the Lord, after seeing a, a bush caught on fire that doesn't get burnt up, and after hearing the voice of the Lord and then seeing all these miracles, you think he'd be willing to go. But his unwillingness first was due to his lack of credibility. Now he's saying it's due to his lack of ability. Look what he says in Exodus 4, verse 10. Moses says, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Now, some might think, oh, he's being modest, and he's being humble, like the prophet Isaiah when he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Others might think he's being honest and he just has a speech impediment. Well, regardless of what you think Moses is being right now, he's still unwilling and he's still focusing on himself. He's focusing on his ability, not on God's ability. And yet, God's patient. God patiently takes Moses' eyes off of Moses and puts Moses' eyes back on God. He says to Moses in verse 11, oh, Moses, like, who, who made the human mouth? And who makes someone mute? Who makes some deaf, some sighted, some blind? Isn't it I? See him returning the focus back to God? Isn't it I, God? Focus on me, now get going. I will put the words in your mouth. I will be your mouth. I'll be right there with you and teach you what to say. He's promising his presence. He's promising his patience. And Moses says, can't you just find somebody else? Now, we might be getting frustrated with Moses right now. But I want to encourage you to be patient with him. For Moses is more like us than we think. I mean, think about it. For 40 years, some might even say 80 years. He's, been, he's 80 years old right now. He barely lift a finger to help out the oppressed Israelites. And Moses is saying, listen, find somebody else. Because he knows the extent of what God is calling him to do. He knows that 
He's not just calling him to do a performative tweet or post to Instagram once about the systemic oppression that the Israelites are, are facing. One ethnicity, the, the Egyptians op oppressing and enslaving another ethnicity, the Israelites. He knows this is not just a call to speak on behalf of the enslaved people, but to stand with them. For when you stand with the oppressed, you will suffer with the oppressed. Find someone else, not willing, he says. These recent days, we've seen the oppression against image bearers of God by unjust police brutality. These recent days, we've seen the rightful, peaceful protests that are then wrongfully hijacked by outsiders, looters, and rioters. It's horrific. It's evil. This is something that angers God, and it angers me. And I'm concerned. I'm concerned. And I, I beg you, to, I beg you to, to put on the, the clothes of humility right now and, and hear, hear what I'm about to ask you. And I, I heard my, my friend Jonah, who's a pastor in Indiana, ask some of these similar words to his congregation. And, and I want to ask us along the same lines, some of those similar questions. And what I'm saying right now, it's not here to condemn you. It's because I love you. I love our church. So I want to ask you that if you are only willing to speak up against the riots and the looting, which are wrong, but you have no sense of grief, no sense of compassion of the oppression from certain police officers against the black community, I beg of you to repent of your unwillingness to speak on behalf of those who cannot speak because they're dead from the lynching of a man's knee. In a similar crisis during the civil rights movement, there's a man, you might have heard of him, named Dr. Martin Luther King Jr who wrote from a jail cell in Birmingham, Alabama. He says this, this is decades ago. History will have to record that the greatest tragedy of this period of social transition was not the strident clamor of the bad people, but the appalling silence of the good people. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Are you willing to speak? Or if you are only willing to speak, if you're only willing to respond to the oppression of your neighbors with what about, and you bring up other injustices, I plead with you to repent of your lack of compassion. We don't do this with anything else. We don't. And Jesus never brings up the injustices of other communities 
when someone is suffering right before them, when someone is grieving and mourning right before them. He never said to Mary and Martha when their brother's brother Lazarus died, well, what about those people who had brothers during Herod, Herod's edict? Herod's murdered them. Murdered them when they were two years old. At least you got to watch your brother Lazarus grow up. You know what Jesus did? Jesus listened. Jesus wept. Jesus drew near. And Jesus offered words of compassionate hope to those weeping sisters. Listen, if you're only willing to say, well, what about? I plead with you not to speak, but instead draw near to listen to learn, to follow the commands of God, to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn, so that when you speak next, you might sound more like Christ. And if you're only willing to speak on social media, when tragedies occur, but you're not willing to send a text message to a friend, not willing to stand with and suffer with those for the long haul, I beg you to repent of your performative religiosity. And if you're willing to support the violence during these times that puts other lives in dangers and hurts other image bearers, I'm pleading with you to repent. Blessed, flourishing, wholehearted are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the kingdom. You know what peacemakers do? They don't hurt others. They hurt with others. When one member of the body hurts, we all hurt. While we weep, while we speak for, while we stand with, while we suffer with the oppressed, we must not let one sin of oppression give birth to another sin. As people of God, we must condemn the violent, satanic acts of oppression that are racist, but we also must condemn the violent acts that are in response to these racist acts. We can't afford to just be one-sided people. We must be gospel people. Which brings me to my last thing I want to ask you of. If you're only willing to speak when the culture speaks about the culture and only to follow the culture's cues, but never bring in the hope of Jesus, I plead with you to repent of your ashamedness of Jesus. We are the people who have the hope that is the comfort of the gospel that brings comfort to those who are mourning and brings peace to enemies. No other people have this but the people of God. And so are you willing? Are you willing to stand with God and speak on behalf of God? This God who stands with the broken, who suffers with the marginalized, who goes in for the hurting and comforts the oppressed. Moses wasn't willing at this point. He says, send someone else. In God's response, anger, righteous anger, just anger, godly anger that one of his image bearers won't go stand with 
the oppression of his other image bearers and bring them out of oppression. But look at the amazing thing about our God when we're unwilling to go stand with the oppressed. Psalm 30, verse 5, shows off his character. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. And we see that in the patience that God had with Moses. Look at his patient response to Moses' indifference. He says, I'm still willing to use you. And I did find somebody else. It's your brother. But I'm still going to use you, Moses. I'm still going to speak to you. And you're going to speak to your brother, Aaron. And he will speak on your behalf. He's still willing to use Moses. See, God doesn't need Moses' credibility. God doesn't need Moses' ability. In fact, God doesn't need anything, but what he loves to do, what he loves to do as a father is to use someone's availability. He doesn't need credibility. He doesn't need ability. He desires availability. And Moses wasn't able to do this on his own, but God is able. So are we willing to trust this able God? For he is willing, willing to use us despite our ability and despite our credibility. Now, in, we see the power of God. We see the patience of God. And now, now we see the pardon from God. In verse 21, we see Moses make this turn. He heads back to Midian, and he's blessed with peace from his willing father-in-law. You think about it, his father-in-law is, is letting his daughter and his grandkids now go into the heart of danger. And Moses will see God harden Pharaoh's heart that wanted to be hardened. And we're going to talk about more of that in about a month from now. And Moses is charged to speak to Pharaoh, let my son, my firstborn son, Israel, go, or I will kill your firstborn son. And on his way down from the mountain to Egypt, this interesting scene takes place. I'm going to read it for you. It starts in verse 24. It says, At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me, so let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood, because of the circumcision. Now think of it, in, in all this interaction, Moses once never thought about the character of God or the commands of God. Moses knows that it's the father's job to circumcise the child on the eighth day of his birth. And he knows that anyone who does not follow this command will be cut off from the community of Israel, from the very people of God and cut off from the presence of God. And this is further evidence that Moses is not willing to trust the credibility of God's word. And God takes his word seriously, so he seeks to take out Moses and kill him. But then an intercessor comes in. Not an Israelite, but a Midianite. His wife, who comes in and circumcises Gershom on the spot. And God accepts the intercession of 
another. To pardon Moses. To pardon Moses from his sin of omission through the blood of a son. Moses' heart, his unwilling heart, reveals our unwilling heart. It's the sin of omission. To the sin of commission is doing the things that God tells us not to do. The sin of omission is not doing the things God calls us to do. This is pretty much the whole of Moses' life. This is what it means to be unwilling. Is the sin of omission, indifference to defend the defenseless, apathy to be a voice for the voiceless, and this unwillingness to take God at his word. See, our, let's talk about me, my unwillingness at the heart really has nothing to do with my ability or lack of ability. It has nothing to do with my credibility or lack of credibility, but rather has to do with whether or not I trust that God's word is able, that God's word is credible. Do I trust, do you trust in the credibility and the ability of God to do what he says he's going to do? And when we aren't willing, you know what God's still willing to do? Pardon us for our unwillingness. Like Moses, it's based on the act of another son. And his name is Jesus. I want you to see this. God is willing to display his power to you, not because of you, but because he is powerful in Christ Jesus. God is willing to display his patience to you, not because of you, because he shows off his patience in Christ Jesus. And God is willing to pardon you, not because of you, but because of the willingness of another firstborn son, Jesus Christ, who is willing to shed his blood, so that we can experience the power of God, which is the gospel of our salvation. He's willing to shed his blood so that we can experience the patience of God despite our unwillingness. And he was willing to shed his blood for the pardon of God, so that we might be forgiven where Jesus paid the price in his blood for our unwillingness and our sin of omission of not doing what God has called us to do. Jesus says in John 10, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. No one forced Jesus to do what he did. He willingly gave up his life. He willingly came underneath the anger of God so that anger, no anger was left for us, but all that's left for us is love, acceptance, and peace with God. And you and I, we must realize, Paul Tripp tells us that we must realize that Jesus's willingness was motivated not by what's inside of us, nor of what the potential could be inside of us, but his willingness 
came from what's inside of him. He's willing because he is merciful. He is willing because he is powerful. Jesus was willing because he is full of unending grace. Jesus is willing because he is good. Jesus is willing because he is patient, not us. Jesus is willing because he stands in for the oppressed, even when we don't. He's willing because he's a good, good savior. He delights in transforming you by his presence and by his grace. He delights in seeing you change from one degree of glory to another by his powerful love. You see, Jesus came down from heaven into our mess to stand with us and to suffer in our place so that we might be free from a different type of oppression. It's the oppression that leads our world to police brutality. It's the oppression that leads one ethnicity to enslave another ethnicity. It's one that is called sin. We're all enslaved to the sin, but God is more powerful than the power of sin. God is more patient with sin than we are patient with sin. And God is willing to pardon you on the cross of Christ through the blood of the bridegroom who came to cleanse the church by his blood. And in all of this, we must not begin with the question, what are we willing to do? What would you do? We must begin with the question, what was God willing to do? What has God said and done? And when we see that he has freed us from the oppression of our sinful nature and made us free, he has set us free from that oppression to become sons and daughters of the living God. It's when we see that he was willing to do those things, will that be the motivation for us to be willing to go speak, not our words, but his words, to free others from the oppression of their sin and their shame. And that's what we see Moses doing. Moses was walking by faith after he was pardoned from his sin. He walks down into the land of Goshen to meet with the leaders. And the leaders, they didn't believe Aaron's words. They didn't believe Moses' words. They believed in the words of the Lord. And verse 31 says that they worshipped him. They worshipped him. That is the result that we would leave here worshiping, knowing what God has done in the past and what he promises to do in the future. You know what that does when we focus on what God has done rather than what we are able to do? It reminds us that we don't make ourselves credible. The gospel makes us credible witnesses to the gospel. God does so that we would not be ashamed of this gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. It's not about our credibility, but the credibility of God. It's not about our ability. God knew we weren't going to be able, so that he promised to send himself in the person of the Spirit of God. You see, Moses had the staff of God to remind him of the power and presence of God, but we have the Spirit of the living God to remind us of the power and presence of God, who isn't just with us in everything we do, but he teaches us what to say, even when we don't know what to say. 
You have the credibility of God. You have the ability from the Spirit of God. And the only thing left to ask is do we have the availability to be used by God? My friends, even when, even when we were unwilling to be used by God, God is still willing to use you. And he delights in using you because as he uses you, he promises to transform you. He promises his presence. He promises his power of the gospel. And he even promises to be patient, to be patient with you as you go and live out the word of God and follow the commands of God. Church, let us be willing to share this gospel, this good news, because God was first willing in Christ Jesus to come share himself with us first by shedding his blood on that cross and by offering himself, his spirit to us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you.